Righto, here we go again. Matt and mates going around for a second season. That feels so awesome to say. And firstly, thank you to all of my guests from last year. I had a blast sitting down, chatting with you all. As this show progresses, I look forward to getting you all on again to see what else you've accomplished. As I said in my little opener last week, for those who listened, I've got a lot to get done. I'm hoping to really crack into it and tick off 50 episodes by the end of the year. I think the last time I managed a half century would be back when I was about 16 years old playing juniors cricket in Geraldton, so I'm definitely due for another. Big thanks goes to Shelter Brewing Co. again for jumping on board and supporting the podcast. Maddie Kipps and the great people there have been taking care of me, so get on down to your bottle shop and grab some. Road trip down to Busso, stop into the brewery, or if you see me in person, I might be able to pass a 10 your way. I can't promise I always have them on me though, but it's worth a go. Right, on to the first guest of the year. A good friend of mine who I've known for some time and he will love me for saying this, Dr. Toby Edwards. Now, he might not be a medical doctor or a real doctor, as some would say, But Toby has done years and years of research in his field of sports science to get his title. He's one of the most knowledgeable people I've come across in the field, and I actually enjoy hearing what he has to say on the matter. We chat about what it was like doing a PhD and the amount of years he put into finishing it, getting to venture around the world for study and work, and how he's been helping the current Australian cycling team to hopefully bring gold home in this year's Olympics. Big thanks to Toby for coming on. I loved getting to sit down and do this episode with him. Enjoy this one, guys. One, two, three, four. G'day and welcome to the Matt and Mates podcast. Join me as we share some stories from some old and new mates. Toby Edwards, thanks for coming down, mate. Thanks for having me. It's good to catch up. It's been a little while since I've seen you. Has been, has been. Things going well in Adelaide? Yeah, um, warming up to Adelaide. I, uh, it was a bit of a tough move probably, but, and, um, you know, didn't like it at first. But, yeah, it's, it's home for now. Home for now. No chance of moving back here? Oh, absolutely no chance at the moment of moving back to Perth. You mentioned the beaches are better here, so I figured that might get you, but fairly not. Uh, so we'll get into today, but I like to give a bit of background of how we know each other. Um, a lot of mutual friends. Todd King was probably who introduced you to me, first guest on the show. And from what I'm aware, you weren't a big fan of me. I, I honestly, I was thinking about this the other day of how we met and I'm not 100% sure of like the moment or the event or whatnot, but obviously went to school with your sister, Elise. Yeah. And then we, I don't know whether you were living in Crossland when I split up with Jenna and yes, then so I was just like, I'm moving in. But I think we just probably met through like you moving in with Todd and Jethro in that Manning house. Yeah. So that would have been when I actually hung out with you. But from my 
recollection, it was because I played down at the same footy club as Todd. And so Todd sort of knew me through... Um, oh, at Rovers. Yeah, Rovers. And then he was just like, oh, you're Elise's brother. And then like when I went into school, because you guys were year 12, I was year 10, at Gerald Senior, he would just want to sort of like talk to me every now and then. Okay. And I remember distinctly Lucas being like, why the fuck are you talking to these younger people? And in the same time, Lucas had told me like, yeah, me and Toby were always going like, why is Todd talking to like people that are below him? And now years later being like, oh, it's so weird. Now we're like great friends. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny when you're younger, people people that are younger than you feel so much younger than you, but then you grow up and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, There'd be a 10 year difference and you don't even notice it. Lucas was a bully, though. Oh, he was what? 100% he was. <laughs> Terrible bloke. We love him, though. Um, <laughs> he's a potential speak, guest in the show. So let's speak for yourself. So I wanted to get you on because you are quite the man with some great stories traveling. Not only all around Australia, but all around the world. You've had quite a number of experiences. You've got a lot of knowledge in that mind of yours. Very fooled a few people, haven't I? Yeah, you definitely have, considering where you're from. So, make it to make it, baby. (laughs) Some of us can do it. But basically, I want to start off with how I do every single pod is my number one question, which I'm sure you haven't thought about whatsoever. If you could go back to any moment in history, witness it with your own eyes, what would it be? Well, you've really put me on the spot here. I haven't thought about this one. It's probably not a moment in history or like significant moment in history, but kind of like more recently through reading a few books and whatnot, I've kind of taken to this like stoic philosophy way of like thinking mostly like about how you live your life and and i read this book called meditations by marcus aurelius this is going to sound like a meme because everyone's just like men all men think about is the roman roman what the roman empire yeah yeah roman empire so marcus aurelius was a the emperor of rome at some stage and then he used to write these like meditations or into his diaries about just his thoughts and whatnot journaling back in those days and then it's kind of like published um, into this book called Meditations and this this kind of way of thinking of Stoic philosophy. And he speaks about mostly just like being present and that not letting things outside of your control like influence the way you go about your life. And it's not necessarily what like happens to you. It's how you respond to whatever has happened to mm-hmm. you. And if that thing that's happened to you is like well outside of your control, then why are you letting it? kind of dictate yeah. your emotions and like how you feel and whatnot. And so I think, but I've just resonated with that. I'm sure he'd be going through a lot more tougher struggles than what we do oh, these yeah, days. Well, so yeah. it'd be cool to just be like hanging out with him for a little while or like see see why he thought the way he did. That's a great answer. Yeah. That's very out there. Thank yeah. you for that one. Sweet. So tell me about what it was like growing up. Run us through. You're a Geraldton boy at heart. Yeah, so it's probably spent... I think Geraldton's probably the town that I've spent most of my life in. I was born in Beverly. Nobody probably knows where Beverly is. It's like a small country town in the Avon. Never even heard of that. Yeah, it's only about now that way. Okay. Um, And it's kind of where like my dad's side of the family grew up and lived on a farm and whatnot and so they were all out there and that's where mum and dad were living at the time and then we bounced around to a few places and spent some time in Esperance and then 
mum and dad split up, so mum moved us up to Geraldton because her mum, my grandmother, and her partner were about to travel around Australia, so we moved into their spot. And yeah, what was that? Year? I think I started in Geraldton in year three and was there in Geraldton in year three through to uh, I finished year 12 and I think I moved directly to, to Perth. I think I was one of the first of our kind of friend group to, yeah. to move to Perth, to jump ship. And, you know, sorry to anyone that lives in Geraldton that's living in this podcast, but thank God I got out of Geraldton. <laughs> Seems to be a theme on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, our good mate Todd King. I don't know what you were doing, mate, but um, might have edited that part out. <laughs> Keep my Gerald fans. <laughs> Kudos to you for for going back. Is uh, is yeah. So uh, you're obviously always wanting to just get out of there. It was just more of a just a destination, grow up there, and then find the next place to go. I mean, I think like I had a great upbringing. Like I love Gerald, and we still have a lot of friends from Gerald and the upbringing, and it's a kind of small country town and you know everyone kind of knows everyone which is good and bad but i've always wanted to like i feel like i have this thing in me that i want to be or like i don't know i just want to explore and see gonna be something and, different and want to be it's going to sound a bit arrogant but like whatever i decide to do like be the best at it yeah at that time when i moved from jelton you know as any kind of kid that plays football wanted to get drafted um so i moved down with scoey Jaden schofield could he get he'd be a good potty i reckon i uh, can i can reach out to him he'd have he'd have, he'd have some good stories i'm not sure if i could afford him former uh, bulldogs player too homesick um <laughs> moved down with scoey and you know played at east Randall and whatnot and it was probably you know at that stage oh it's a funny story scoey and i so East Freo got us, or we got a job or whatnot when we first moved down as a like Bricky's labourer. And it was the middle of summer, it was like January. I would have just turned 18. I'd never kind of worked a day in my life. Still haven't. I still haven't. No, these hands were not made for manual labour. <laughs> and so we went to work in the middle of January, stinking hot in Perth. And boss on site was like, gave us a tool or whatever to take home and someone was going to come pick it up. A big boss was going to come pick it up. And he came over to the house and knocked on our door. And me and Scully were just like, I was too scared to say that I quit on the first day. And so I'd fucking let Scully push Scully under the bus. And we quit after one day of hard work. And I don't think I've ever done another day of manual labor for the rest of my <laughs> life. That, yeah, that was just, I don't know why that came back to me. But yeah, moving down from Jordan to Perth to kind of play footy and you know, not ever makes it. It turned out to be pretty average at footy. Not that oh, average. you were a bit of a gun from what I got told. Not that average. Anyway, yeah, that didn't happen. And then I guess my thought was like, okay, you know, you really don't know what you want to do when hmm. you're that age at all. Were you yes, uh, 18? Yeah. yeah. And I, like at school, I only did, I went to school like two or three days a week through like year 11 and 12. I didn't do ATAR or mm. TE back in the day is what it was called. I do like the school-based traineeship where I just go to with Jamie Cripps actually with the like football development officer in in, yeah. in Geraldton, and we'd really just go to schools and kick the footy and do Oz kick and kind of sort that out. And you ended up getting like you cert two and three in sport rec management or whatnot. Mm. And so 
you know, you don't really think about going into uni. Well, I never thought at that stage. I was like, what do you do? I think I moved back to Perth, back to Jelton for a little bit, back in with mum. And it was either trying to get a, an electric apprenticeship or go back to uni, like go to uni and study exercise and sports science, what every other man is, dog yep. studies. Thank God I went back to uni, but I had, because I didn't do TE or whatnot, I had to sit this like uni prep course, which was, yeah. which was one semester. Um, six months, is that right? Yeah, yeah, one semester. Now you can go there for like two weeks or whatever. You just do like a week really? or so. Yeah, they just fly. They just, it's a business, mate. They just want kids, particularly after COVID. And yeah, did a sports science degree like everyone else. Sports science, yeah. yeah. Part of the crew. Yeah. Uh, how'd you find sports science? What was like the, any reason for it? Was it more that you just going into it thinking, oh, I like sport may as well find out the insides and outsides of it yeah it was pretty much i like sport yeah. and you know did, every other person <laughs> didn't really you know you didn't make it at whatever sport you were playing but you still wanted to or i still wanted to or how to how else can i get to work at like a professional sporting level or with athletes and yeah so that that's the path if you want to do it that's the path that you have to take yeah as um much of a bad rap that it gets in regards to like nobody can get jobs after it it's kind of looking back at it, it's like if you want to do it it's the risk that you have to mm. take you have to like you mentioned before you have to be probably the best at what you're doing to push yourself uh, to get the job yeah but i think like to an extent i mean i wasn't the smartest like i got through on like c's i think i finished uni uh uni undergrad with like a um like a 68 average or, or something. But what I th think I did probably better than others is like not just study. Like I was, I think I started at like Perth Demons with like under 16s doing something right. um, in my first year of undergrad. And so you just like combine experience with uni. So then when you eventually go to apply for these like higher level jobs you just you got to find a way to like separate yourself from other mm. people that have done the same thing particularly sports science like it like i said every man his dog does it and then i have this feel like i just want to be the best at whatever i decide to do so at the stage through through uni you kind of like also come to realize that it's very hard to get a job mm. so i push like the academic sales like i want to do an honors degree or honours after so again to separate myself from everyone else that was studying it was that hard to get into um because you usually got to have a certain you needed score. like a i think every each uni is different but you needed like a 70 average yeah yeah i think but then you get invited to it but i kind of just said oh this is what i want to do at the time i was oh i was at a south romano with the senior program like I guess interning or assistant S and C, and so I, what I did was just I used that for my honors. I just used some of the data that we were already collecting in terms of like GPS metrics and physical performance testing, and use that data for an honors project. So it was pretty simple. But then going back to like, oh, well, it's still very hard to get a job. How else can I 
set it's so competitive to get yeah. like be able to support yourself full-time in in this industry so i was like and i also really wanted to go to america you guys take the piss out of me for this story but i always really wanted to go to america so rightly or wrongly i um tried really hard in my honors degree because i could skip a master's and get a phd scholarship and i saw that as like a job or like it was more money than i was making at the time or like i was actually getting paid to do some research versus having to work and i worked in a bottle shop through undergrad yeah and eventually i got a phd scholarship and kind of maybe not took it for granted but like used it to go and live in america and yep. like intern in America and my base my PhD data collection with college basketball program. When you when you get that um <clears throat> PhD scholarship, are you allowed to use it on whatever you want or is it set to like or well, you were saying you want to go to America? Did you have to use it going to America or could you use it here in Australia? No, so you I could use it here. So a scholarship is you get your you don't pay fees. Anyone that has a PhD doesn't pay fees. Yeah. But then the scholarship you get funded so you, it goes in your bank account. You get like your salary. Right, okay. But at the at, at right now I think now it's like thirty two thousand. Well not with like inflation or whatnot, but back when I was doing a year. Oh, okay. Um tax free. And then so when I did, it was like twenty six, twenty five thousand dollars, and you use it however you want to use it, like it's yep. like a salary. Um, but the conditions was you have to you had to spend a year in the country first, like get your candidature and saw what studies you're gonna do out, mm-hmm. and then I uh, pissed off to America, and just using like connections and the network that I had, put me in contact with a guy called Josh Bonatol who was the director of sports performance for men's basketball at Purdue University. And he, so prior to that, he was with the Chicago Bulls and then he was going into his seventh year at, yeah, so Derek Rose era. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, when Derek Rose was winning the MVP. So he was assistant SNC the Chicago Bulls um, and then moved to Purdue University. When we met, he was going into his seventh year of director of SNC for men's basketball. Anyway, he got me over and I guess the way things panned out in terms of like staff leaving at the time, Josh was very good at kind of like just putting me underneath his wing and and looking after me and not getting involved in all of the politics that were happening there at the time. And I guess looking back, like, so the the PhD, the first one, I'll get to what happened with it, but that first PhD was looking at like, essentially jump profiling and, and accelerometer demands yep. in basketball, excel, decel or whatnot. At the time, nobody was really doing it in college basketball. America was a bit backwards or like behind in the sports science. And now you see it all over social media, people jumping mm. on force plates and being like, this is what we do and, and deceleration, like deceleration is more important. And so I like to think we were like a bit ahead of our time in terms of like what we're thinking and doing. Like other people might've been doing it as well, but looking back, it was good to know that we're kind of on the right track. With um, when you were doing it at the time, like you said, because not a lot of people were doing it, was it hard to sort of sell that idea? I sell the idea to the athletes. Yeah, or just towards like the sport in general, because if not a lot of people were doing it and you're saying, we want to look at this and then other like organizations or whoever's involved with the same we don't usually do that. Like, why do we need to do that? Look at that element. 
Yeah, I think well, that's where like Josh came in and helped get the buy-in from yeah. the athletes more so and, and the yeah, coaches yeah. and whatnot. And they were already doing it. They had like accelerometers in their, in their basketball jerseys through yeah. training and whatnot before. Um, so that was new. That was not new. It's just like getting to jump yeah, regularly. But then that went to shit and so I had to scrap all my data collection and then actually there's like a there's kind of like a big investigation into it there was like an ethics issue in terms of like right process ethics issue not that i was being i mean you could say i was being unethical (laughs) (laughs) because the process wasn't followed to a t and so everything that i collected there was binned and so it was like two and a half years i had all of my data i'd published like three studies two of them had to be retracted and i was probably on the way to submitting my thesis in maybe six months to a year and it'll be like 27 or something yeah and then all this shit kicked off and uh, yeah essentially had to retract all my papers and delete or burn all my data and then it's big investigation and kind of decide whether i want to start all over again with um with just doing like that research in general obviously it got thrown away but how do they actually regulate it so for when you're getting your data is it is there someone else there making sure that the data you'll get is getting is correct and done correctly or how, how do they make it in a way that you're not just forging it and going i want to set this way that's a funny that's like you really you, you could fudge it if you wanted to like you're right i collect it i analyze it so crazy to think that that's happened but i think that just goes to like the ethics about it yeah and then, like with research, you got to there's like it's got to be pretty robust, and that's why the method section is is pretty robust, so it can be like repeatable and reproducible. Okay. So that if you do end up fudging data or whatnot, then if other people you know find different findings or have different results, then yeah. they are start asking why and like questions why. Yeah, okay. But my time in America was looking back at it, probably outside of the like what I'm doing now, my life now, like the greatest 18 months yeah. of my life. So working with in college basketball program with Purdue basketball, we ranked top five in the country for a number of years. And yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I still made re- have really good friends from, from Purdue and keep in contact now. I was lucky enough to then go to a, a university, Western Michigan University, work with a football program for six months whilst all this crap with my PhD was kicking off. So really good opportunity to like live in another country yeah 100 i'd be paid for it yeah i will admit do we because you were there for what a year at that stage oh, i was i've been there i was there for like 18 months total yeah yeah so but you did you went over twice though that's right yes yeah, yeah. so the first one i remember you going over there and coming back you had a little bit of like an american twang about you and obviously we did take the piss a little bit but i will admit i was I'm quite pretty jealous. Like you got to experience that because all I had done at this point is moved from Geraldton to Perth, yeah. And I was still doing all my study, and I was still a little bit lost too. And then seeing you going doing that type of stuff made me start to think, oh, maybe eventually I'll go and do something like that. So, yeah. as much piss as I did take, I am actually quite proud that you took the leap and did that, mate. Uh, I appreciate that. I think I think everyone needs to just get out of their comfort zone and yeah, live in a different place and. Just try something new. Like, was it tough, sort of going over there in a sense of, like, obviously you said you had a few connections, but 
did you sort of know what you're walking into or were you just sort of like completely nervous the entire time going in oh obviously i was nervous clearly getting on the flight knowing you're gonna be there for a yeah. year like what if i didn't like you like all those thoughts run through your head but everyone has those thoughts when they try something new and that like they're not good at yeah. or they're meeting new people or they're put in situations where they're not I mean, just any new situation would this have been like the biggest risk you reckon you'd have taken at that time oh 100 percent. yeah but it all turns out fine. like generally it yeah. all turns out fine like we we and, and that's kind of this that stoic philosophy is like you live your life if you're trying to live like to think about things that happen in the, the future hasn't even happened yet but so like why are you even worried about mm. things that like might happen I wish a lot of people had that mindset. Oh, I mean, I mean, it's you know, you still get influenced by it, but like, what's what's the point? Like, why live your life there when it, you, like it's happening in front of you? Yeah, right yeah. But yeah, it's fine. That moving was fine. It was a great experience. Yeah. And so then, eventually, you've uh, you've come back to Perth. Come back to Perth for that short time what was the next step from there so did you end up going back into doing any more study here so obviously the university had given you money towards your scholarship to do it in america all that data got thrown away so when what was your next step from that point well i just had to start all over again other or just like finish and do something else but it's not like in my mindset they're like in me to start something and not finish so i just started all over again like so PhD again, another went through another like candidature, had to write out what studies I wanted to do and go through all of that again. But, you know, fortunately enough, like if you've already been through it, you know how to do it. Yeah. So it was just a lot faster. And I fell into fell back into the role at South Fremantle again. This time with their like Coles program, under eighteens program, and you'd like just oversee all the development academies and what would happen. And so try to make it as easy as possible for myself and data collection. So I just used those athletes um, for, for data collection and then designed my PhD studies around what we're doing there. And then I've probably finished in like from that point, two and a half hours, two and a half years. So it's probably like five and a half years total from when I started my PhD to when I ended it. Normally they only take three years. So... Um, yeah, it was a fucking, do it, do it right, eh? fucking long process. So yeah, it was hard, man. Like at at that point when I came back, I wasn't on scholarship because it ran out. So I had to like, I actually had to work. So at, the, at that time I was like working at South Fremantle. They paid not much at that level. Lecturing at a university or like sessional lecturing and uh sessional tutoring and fortunately i was at notre dame that have small like it's a smaller university so there was a lot of like teaching opportunities that paid really well but it was semester to semester and so you don't know what you're going to get do your phd and i was like coaching outside at like private snc facility wa sports performance um did some stuff at like champions gym and just in the community just to kind of get by and then you got to fit in your phd writing on top of all of that and you're also broke as hell because like you you're just doing a lot of different stuff so you know it was it was pretty difficult when i moved back from perth 
you'll probably remember all of our mates take the piss out of me still like i had like two suitcases and no car i was sleeping on a mattress on the floor living out of my suitcases um i had nothing i think for one of my birthdays or christmas you guys chipped in and bought me like a uh, chest of drawers yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i legit had nothing um so like i guess now thinking about it looking back like owe a lot to you guys for like letting me back into the house and like just giving me a room to rent a room to live in and and whatnot so um yeah looking back was pretty tough yeah still got a uh, still got the chest of drawers i don't actually <laughs> I, I don't know where it is sold it off a few money <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's long gone i think <laughs> so yeah so doing the phd in a nutshell it's it's quite a long process. It's quite a mentally fatiguing process. Did you ever have any doubts of like you were going to sort of pull the pin at all or were you, like you said, you were just completely all in on getting it done? No, I was going to finish it. Like I'm not, I, yeah, don't, I won't start something and not finish it. Yeah, so no doubts about not finishing it. But, you know, when you come to the end and start applying for work, like I think you applied for like, we got up my, like my job applications after finishing my PhD and working in America. I would have applied for like 30 jobs and probably had like, I think I had two interviews. One was with Deakin University and then one was with the job that I have now. But like the PhD right now is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And like work right now is, is doesn't even compare to like how difficult that period of your life was you had to go through shit to get the reward basically yeah and it makes everything so much worth like so much worth it now like this job that i have now is is my first full-time job ever but so like made made it all the way to 30 without (laughs) working (laughs) i thought i played that i think i played that pretty well yeah talk about your current job so it's you you've got scored this one when abouts did you Get this was it back in twenty twenty two? Yeah, twenty twenty two. So I graduated in twenty twenty one and I signed this one year contract at Notre Dame to be a lecturer. I was on more money than what I'm on now. But it was only one year and I was like, Oh, I'm only thirty. Thirty? Yeah, I was thirty. Um I was like, Do I really wanna be in academia for the rest of my life? It must become like institutionalized. So I was still looking for work and applied for all these jobs and whatnot in industry. And then the one that I least expected is the one that stuck. I was with the Australian cycling team. I have a pretty cool job title um, as strength and power scientist. That, it's cool. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> real cool, isn't it? It's a good It's a good uh, business card. Is that one good on e- out? Good email, uh, <laughs> good email signature. Yeah, I absolutely did not expect to get this, the position that I'm in now. And, you know, I was based in Adelaide, so I had to move again from Perth to Adelaide, but I didn't think, like, take a second thought about Nothing like, compared to what you've already done. <laughs> no, yeah, so I went over to Adelaide into a sport that I had no idea about, into a city that I'd never been to before, then didn't know anyone, and... But it's too good of an opportunity to pass up. Like, yeah. How how does that work? Um, because 
obviously with your knowledge that you've gained over all these years, you can probably apply to any sport. But the fact that you'd never done anything with cycling, how did how did that how did you manage to scoring that role based on like just being previously just working with like basketball, AFL, uh, NFL as well? I think. Yeah, I think like like through your PhD and all of these different sports, particularly I guess your PhD, like you get so narrow focused in your project and what you're doing, but like what that actually teaches you in terms of like critical thinking and understanding and application and what's actually happening and what are you trying to achieve. If you learn those skills and apply it to a different area of your life or a different industry, you know, it's pretty easy to pick up like what's the, what's the performance requirements of cycling and what are the determinants and then work back and like how can I influence those determinants mm. but then also like you know you're you end up being like a product of the people that you spend your most time with right and so you get thrusted into this Olympic program with people that you know I'm working with people that all they've ever done in their life is cycling like athletes have cycled my the coach that I work with is he's an ex Great Britain cyclist. Another at the time there was another coach, Lynn Munro, who she her PhD was in cycling. Our performance analyst is probably the cleverest person I've ever met in regards to cycling and 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 performance analyst and data analytics was an athlete with Australia sprint cyclist. And he's been in his role now for like 10 years. And so when you just have conversations with these people, you know, I'm the dumbest person in the room, but like you just, you like learn so much. And so from conversations, like I asked them the same question, like, why did you hire me? Like, I didn't know anything about it. And they're like, well, we just wanted someone to come in and challenge like contemporary knowledge. And if you get stuck in an area and you just do things the way you do it, because that's the way things have always been done. And so... You know, I wouldn't say I brought in too many new ideas, but you just ask different questions and probably helps other people and coaches. It's the curiosity you think have. about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, that, I think that's how it works. And it's like pretty applicable, right? You just yeah. look at like what's the performance and then you work backwards as to how you can influence the performance. Hmm. So you've you've scored this job you're rocking up first day on what was going through your head i was nervous as hell um first real job yeah like first yeah i just mentioned i didn't know nothing about i'd never walked into a velodrome before i'd never just watched it on the olympics yeah is that all the research you'd done at this point just watching like on the olympics yeah (laughs) yeah essentially like reading up on sprint cycling and bmx race race athletes and whatnot but First time I'd stepped into a velodrome. First time I'm meeting all these people. And like, you know, if I'm, I just mentioned like you get, you think forward and you get nervous about like, oh, what if athletes don't like me? How am I going to get their buy-in or build relationships? Or like, how can I get them to trust my programming? Knowing that I've never worked in cycling, like never worked in cycling before in my life. Like, why are they going to listen to me? And all those thoughts were going through my head, but you know, I'm very lucky now to work with, you know, I have great relationships with all the athletes that I work with 
and the staff that I work closely with. And I'm just super lucky, like it's fortunate for them to have the trust in me to, mm. you know, help them achieve their Olympic goals and and dreams of winning shit. And they're probably extremely lucky to have you. Yeah, some would say. I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to think that they'd think that too. <laughs> so give us a bit of a rundown. What's like a standard day at work for you? Standard day, um, going to the gym, 8.30, get, get to work about quarter past eight. I'll go for a little go for a little trot before work. We go to work, 8.15-ish. Make a brew, head down to the gym. And we have gym sessions from 8.30 to 11.30. I have five, right now I have five residential athletes in Adelaide that train in Adelaide. Uh, we run double days most of the time when we train. So we'll gym in the morning, 8.30 to 11, 11.30. And then have track from 1.32 to 4 to 5, depending what we're doing. And then in the middle of the day, we might have a few meetings about athletes or what's happening in future competitions or send my coach and work on phase planning and I might duck out and go and get lunch and come back and we'll be on track. And then so I'd assist the track coach um, for track sessions in regards to, you know, I might be filming some efforts or running the gate when we're, if we're doing mm. some starts or holding the athletes, you know, from probably if we're doing a start, some get held, so you got to hold the seat whatever he kind of needs me to do really then I go home and then do it again another day the very next day yeah or generally we go day on day off so you work like weekends as well no so it's just fast. Monday to Friday 8.30 4.30 generally 5-ish yeah very good work life balance what a no. life eh? when I first started after my PhD I'd come home and I'd be like what am I going to do with all this free time that I have now it was just like I would, was not doing it. It felt like I was just not doing it. It felt like you needed to do something. Yeah, I felt guilty. <laughs> so like, why do I have time? I'm not used to this. But um, working in such a high level performance means you'd probably get to do a fair amount of travel. Yes. And so I have, I've seen some of the stuff you got to go over, but you've uh, managed, uh, what was your last trip over in Europe? Is that right? Last trip, most recent trip was to America. For a week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then earlier this year, went to we had our staging camp for world champs in Portugal. So we're in Portugal for two weeks and then flew to world champs was in Scotland. So I flew to Scotland with them um, and worked for about a week. Uh, whilst we were there with BMX and then, you know, just tied on a holiday in Scotland off the back of that. Earlier this year, I spent a week in New Zealand with BMX race, you know, you get to go to these places, but you don't get to holiday in these places. Oh, you still, you, it's, but it's still, it's, it's still your work. You're traveling all around the world. <laughs> still pretty cool. Cool work perks. Um, yeah. And like, even domestically, like I'm here now and I go to Brisbane in like two months time for a little while. And then we go back to Portugal next year. And I don't even travel as much as what the athletes travel and like the head coach travels to competition. So, they travel a lot more. Hmm. It sounds travel sounds really cool for work, but I can see it being like not that. Um, oh, it'd be demanding, but like not that cool. Yeah. Like, 
you're just like constantly flying and you know if you had a family and kids and whatnot that like you'd probably get pretty you know take take its toll and missing your kids grow up and whatnot but currently i do not have those problems (laughs) (laughs) sense all the free time (laughs) yeah hands all the free time yeah with uh doing all this travel like you said like it's a cool experience but at the same time you obviously just doing your small parts is it hard to adjust in your work life there because in a sense of like just say like a standard person doing a nine-to-five job they go to their job they always know where they're what they're doing where they're where they're going to be it's the same environment every single time going to a different country different state wherever it might be it's obviously going to be a bit of a different environment Mm. is it hard to sort of adjust in those environments to be able to perform what you're trying to do we um keep everything pretty similar if we travel away then we train a double day but you just forward plan and find gyms that are close by and training those gyms and those facilities and then we'll go to track and velodrome to velodrome and then we'll come home i guess what's difficult wasn't difficult at all but like what's the toughest thing is like when you travel and you're in a staging camp like you're in a room with another staff member like trying to find downtime for yourself and get away from work like you're just living on top of each other for a little for a little mm. bit but in a sense like the work that i do it's to be good at it in terms of as an athlete is do the same things over and over and over and over again like and so each day looks very similar and just do like maybe different exercises in the gym and then slightly different exercises in the track but then you come back in like six months time and it x amount of weeks out from another competition and you're probably doing the same stuff it's Mm. just like at a different point in time but you just understand like that's how you get good at things right so like you get good at riding a bike and doing x amount of efforts by doing the same effort yeah yeah that's great yeah it's a cool job it's a fucking great job again pretty jealous of it but yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't... I do think of uh, like, I'm not going to be in this position forever. So Take I'm trying to enjoy it at, yeah. at life right now. Enjoy it because, you know, it's super competitive and probably other people out there, they're going to take my job one time or one day and then I'm not going to be doing yeah, the opportunity to do that. Because like obviously in this field, you always need to stay on the top of your game, always be up to date with everything. Is it well known that like people can jump in your position at any moment? Like you obviously you'd be on a contract for your role. Yeah. But because if say so someone else has come up the ranks, would they, would they would your job be up for grabs if say someone was at a higher standard and no, trying to come into that field? I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, unless they wanted to get rid of me, then hire someone else. But yeah. you know, I came in not knowing anything. Um, you know, in the time I've been there, coincidentally, not because of me, in spite of me, we won a truckload of medals at Commonwealth Games, world champions in 2022, and won like silvers and bronze in individual events. And we came second this year. They're like, so we're performing. Um, so I wouldn't imagine. You just make yourself more valuable. Like you obviously learn a lot more and you make yourself more valuable to the, 
you become like a um i forget the word but like so, uh, like an asset like they're never gonna like get rid of you and then cycling is such a small industry like world like from what i've seen like coaches bounce like the coach from i oh, that i work with is british and there's aussie coaches that are in britain and there's a britain coach that's coaching the netherlands and there's an aussie that coaches japan so it's like it's kind of a small industry and so whether it's you know that happens and there's opportunity mm. you go elsewhere or whatnot who knows i i'm also you know you've just turned 30 i'm nearly 32 you feel old but in the scheme of things like career like you're quite young right okay i hope so <laughs> like i don't know 20 30 years ahead of yeah yeah so there's a, there's a long ways to go that's sick so you um obviously this job this role now such a good job but as you were saying like you don't think it'll be something that you'll do forever where's sort of like the field you would you would ideally like to go into i mean i probably don't have any like expectations of what's going to happen like i never thought i'd be in this job do you have like a dream job um apart from one you're in now dream job i mean so what's really good about my job now is that what you do in terms of like prescription is so important for their performance you know working a pure strength and power sport we train probably like if you look at training hours across the year it's probably like 60 to 70 percent not 70 percent stretch maybe 60 percent is training in the gym and 40 percent is on the bike hmm. So what you do actually matters. Not that it doesn't matter in other sports, but like it's just in, in terms of like a technical, more technical, tactical sport, basketball, AFL, soccer, etc. The, you know, you can be really good at those sports and not the most athletic yep. or like strengthful power. Or, you know, you can develop those physical capacities, but like, the transference isn't going to be as great because there's such a high level of tactical and technical skills and abilities in those sports. Like, what's the NBA MVP, a big bastard from Denver, um, Jokic. Oh, yeah. Um, does not look athletic and is slow as hell, probably can't jump one foot off the ground, but he can play basketball very well. Mm. Luka Doncic doesn't look like the most athletic fast speed powerful basketball player but he is an excellent basketball player so just like the relative importance of what you do is or the relative importance of it the way i see it relative importance of it for performance is like on its scale yeah dream job could probably be like working in the nba would be cool what i think would be really cool is actually like coaching cycling at Brisbane 2032 Olympics I don't know if I've got that in me but that's 10 years away oh yeah shit that is why <laughs> um, but it's definitely a draw card mm. to still be around in the home Olympics just be somewhat involved in getting a team or some athletes to a home Olympics and knowing that you you played a role in them performing at that Olympics, yeah, it's contributing somehow. I feel like you get promoted to your level of incompetence, 
So like you get really good at something if it's like athlete facing, it's coaching, really yeah. good at it. And then to be promoted and earn more money, you go up the ranks and that moves you further and further and further away from what you actually started doing and what you're yeah. good at. And you end up being like management and dealing with like paperwork and sitting in front of a computer. We actually just spoke about this yesterday too. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, it's funny. Like, um, the higher up you go, the less you're actually involved in what you're what you were supposed to be good at. Yeah, which beyond me. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny to note that, and you just kind of see it happening. Like the pathway from when I see strength coaches in in Olympic sports is like strength coach, like performance support manager, into like another higher up like management role where you have more influence across like a system versus like actually delivering yeah, but you know on the floor yeah. involved in like what they're being prescribed yeah. and all of that yeah yeah so ideally you want to stay more hands-on approach then oh yeah to an extent yeah no yeah. manual labor yeah no love it <laughs> asl oh everyone's in the afl <laughs> like I thought that was always like, like you mentioned, it was like your dream to, I guess it's every single boy's dream to be, and girl's dream to be, be an AFL player here in Australia. Would it have ever been, sort of been up the alley of working in the AFL instead? Oh, uh, but now that you've experienced I mean, I d- this. like, yeah, I wouldn't say no, obviously. It would be like, it would be, it'd be a sick job. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that's like the dream job. You take me for someone that would be more on like an international level. Yeah, I love my work perks of like traveling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Get see, the frequent flies up. Work, if you could call it work, see the world, travel the world, meet like cool people and see different cultures and the way the world works. And it really just makes you like, like, you know, we can think that the whole world like revolves around us or like whatever like how insignificant we actually are in the Mm. scheme of like how big this globe is and like how little time on earth we actually have to do anything well it's like that it's like saying it's we all think we're the main character in everyone else's story yeah you're fucking not you're not you're (laughs) the main character of your story and no one else blinks an eye yeah no one even cares mate no one cares well I mean some people might yeah (laughs) but (laughs) like friends family but like, no one else. It's quite, yeah. Yeah, no, it fascinates me a little yeah. bit. No, that's sick. Yeah. But um, I guess that's all left to ask is sort of what's next for you? You've, you've mentioned a couple of uh, big events that you're going to be involved in, but what's sort of like over the next 12 months? What's what's going on in the life of Toby? Um, oh, what am I doing? Obviously the Olympics, that's what we're, training for now and it's what work is gearing for but then like the sport doesn't stop after the olympics so we're like looking forward there's like world champs and then 2025 it's like planning through for that i'll get another little euro trip probably after portugal spend some time in brisbane and and that's that's probably it i won't be back here in wa until next december maybe Jeez, like yeah just knows? time for my birthday again yeah yeah what about my birthday mate yeah no i'll send you a nice message a bit I? stiff that nobody's come to adelaide to visit me whatsoever i'll be i'll be eastern states just not in adelaide <laughs> matt wood was three hours from adelaide 
and wouldn't drive to Adelaide to spend two nights with me because petrol was too expensive. Can, can we also mention that I'd travelled from Darwin at this stage and you wouldn't travel three hours out of Adelaide to meet me? Sounds a bit like an excuse to me. I may edit that part out. <laughs> um, but that's really all I want to run through with you today. I feel like there is a lot more in depth that we could go into, but hearing these stories so far is, I feel, a great insight to you as a person and what you've accomplished so far. And I'll just say that you've done from the boy that's come from Rangeway and Geraldton to what you're doing now. As much as you are a bit of a piss take of the group at times, we all are very proud of you and what you're doing. So well done, mate. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Um, but before you take off, as you've seen to your left-hand side there, there'll be a nice little present for you from our sponsors here at Shelter Brewery. You've kind of be taking home, I guess, if you take it on the plane, maybe. Um, for sure. Some beers, some Shelter uh, Pale Ale, XBA, and the Lager. So you can take your pick of which one you want, but thanks again to the people at Shelter. Beautiful. Thank you, Kipsy. <laughs> thanks, Shelter. And that's all we're really going to do for today, mate. So thank you for taking the time, coming up in my way, flying over to Perth just for this interview. I know that's the real reason. Not your birthday. Not my birthday. Who cares about that? But thanks, Hapes. You're officially a, ma a mate of the Matt and Mates podcast. And we'll see you again, hopefully, in another year. And we love you all. And stop trying to steal my life. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Matt and Mates podcast. If you enjoyed the show and feeling generous, you can like, follow, or subscribe on our socials or wherever you get your podcasts. For those wanting to go that bit further, you can leave a review or share with your family and friends. If you have any recommendations on guests, give feedback or advertise on the pod, give us a message on socials or flick an email to mattandmates at gmail.com. Stay tuned for the next episode when it drops. And as always, I love you all. Yeah.